This is The Guardian. Today, the political power of Europop. We're in Liverpool for Eurovision 2023. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hello, 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 hello. We're in Liverpool for Eurovision 2023 and we're in the M&S Bank Arena where in just a few minutes a dress rehearsal is going to start ahead of Saturday's grand final. Tomorrow night this stadium is going to be packed with thousands of fans from across the world and an estimated 180 million people are going to be watching on TV. As an artist, you really couldn't get a bigger stage. Oh, we just had a classic Books Fizz style moment from Blanca, the Polish entry for this year's contest, where one of her backing dancers, who was all in silver sequins, whipped off her skirt. It's like a rainfall. And he's walking through dry mist. It's very, very Eurovision. I feel like this is gonna go off with the crowd on Saturday night. And among all the glitter, the shiny suits and the, the novelty dance routines and power ballads, you'll see there's a message too, that Europe stands with Ukraine. Several acts in this year's final make reference to the conflict in their songs. Croatia's Let Three, whose punk song Mamash T mocks dictators for being childish. Switzerland, whose artist Remo Fora sings that he doesn't want to be a soldier. And the Ukrainian duo, of course, Tavorce, whose song Heart of Steel is about the siege of Mariupol. Hundreds of Ukrainians who fled the war have made Liverpool their home. And this competition is one way of symbolising to them that here, they're welcome. From The Guardian, I'm Hannah Moore. Today in Focus, hosting Eurovision on behalf of Ukraine. This is the first time in 25 years that the UK is hosting Eurovision. Normally it goes to the country that won in the preceding year, and that was Ukraine, whose entry Kalush Orchestra performed Stefania. After they sang, they made a plea for the people of Ukraine. I ask all of you, please help Ukraine, Mariupol. Sam Ryder, who was representing the UK, came second, and so it was decided that we should host. Russia has been banned from the contest, and for the first time in the competition's 67-year history, 
One country is taking on hosting duties for another. Chris West, you've written a book called Eurovision, a history of modern Europe through the world's greatest song contest. Just how big a fan of Eurovision are you? I'm a big fan, though I I suppose I'm not a super fan. I go to Eurovision conventions and we have a Eurovision quiz and I'm sitting around a table with a group of people and some of these questions come up, sort of, you know, who represented Luxembourg in 1958? And, you know, there's someone on the table who knows the answer to that, and I'm still scratching my head. So there are sort of super fans, and there are people like me who are near the top of the pile, but not right at the top. Last year, Kalish Orchestra used the Eurovision stage to send a message to people across Europe to say, please support Ukraine. Over the decades, we've seen examples of artists using that platform to make political statements, haven't we? Yes, very much so, very much so. Um, We had, when Ukraine entered a song called 1944. And the artist was Jamala, and she came from Crimea... And the song was about was about Stalin's invasion of Crimea and the expulsion of the Tatars from Crimea back in 1944, but it was clearly a reference to the much more recent Russian invasion of Crimea, and it won. And it was a very it was a very soulful song. It was a good song, but it was it was very political. It sneaked past the EBU's filters because the EBU who run the competition, the European Broadcasting Union, they say the thing is supposed to be non-political. It's actually in the rules. This is not political. But people find ways of getting around this. And Jamala said, look, this is a song about a historical event. It's not about things now. It's about what happened in 1944. And the EBU couldn't really say no. We've had other times when people have tried to do political songs and have been thrown out. There's a wonderful... When Russia invaded Georgia in 2008, the Georgians for the next year's Eurovision, which was going to be in Moscow, produced a song called We Don't Want to Put In, although they said put in when they were singing it. Which was pretty obvious. And the EBU said, excuse me, we can't have that. Can you change the lyrics? And Georgia said, no, this is what the song is. And so they didn't enter that year. Then we have, um, go back a bit further. Um, We have an interesting song in 1990. The contest was won by a song about the coming together of Europe. It's a song called Insieme, it means together. And it was about really about the whole idea of, of, of the European Union, the European single market. Unite, unite Europe, was its, was its chorus. It's a rather good song, actually. It's um, a, a worthy winner, I think. So, Portugal now, and then... If you go back, right back into the 1970s, Portugal was a dictatorship at that time under Salazar, 
And there are a number of songs in the early 70s from Portugal which were very strong political protests against the, against the regime. And that, that actually came to a climax when the song from, I think, 1974 was used as a signal to start the revolution, the Carnation Revolution. When this song, After Goodbye, when it was played on Portuguese radio, that was a signal for the, the revolution to begin. That, that's obviously the most direct political influence the Eurovision song has ever had. Each country gets to award 12 points to their favourite song, and every year we see countries giving the top points to their neighbours or political allies. Is the voting as political as people tend to assume? No, it isn't. I th- there's a terrible line you get from grumpy people who don't like Eurovision, and they say, it's all political. And this is basically a load of nonsense. It's a little bit political. Greece and Cyprus nearly always exchange 12 points. Not always, but pretty regularly. And now our 12 points go to... Greece! <laughs> Greece, 12 points, like this. 12 points. And there's a kind of... There's a kind of roar of applause when that's announced because everybody knows it's going to happen. And it's a kind of... It's part of the contest, really. If, if it didn't happen, people would be disappointed. Um, Romania and Moldova very often share high levels of points. There are little blocks. One thing you've got to understand is a lot of this voting is cultural, especially with Balkan countries. There are acts who are big in the Balkans. There's someone like Jelko Joksimovic, who used to win a lot in the 2000s or you know, do very well. That wasn't political voting. Actually, these countries hated each other politically, but they all liked his music. It was that it was, he was big in all these different countries. So yes, of course, they all voted for him because they liked his music. A lot of it is to do with the diaspora. If there's a, a, a Russia used to get a lot of votes from old Soviet Union bloc countries, or because there were Russian people living there, and they would vote for the Russian song. But it's not political in the sense of a grumpy old man in a pub saying, it's all political. No, it isn't. And that's nonsense. And Eurovision's been a stage not only for geopolitics to play out, but also social politics. And it's been a place where over the years, especially the LGBTQ community, has found a home and, and been able to kind of stand up in front of a millions of people and say, this is who I am and, and I'm proud of it. Tell us a little bit about the LGBTQ history of, of artists performing at, at the contest. Go right back to 1961 and the winner was a song called Nous les amoureux. Les amoureux Which is clearly about a, a gay love affair. If you read the lyrics, you know, the the world will disapprove and people will think it's evil and all that sort of stuff, which sort of implies to, to most modern listeners it's a gay love affair, though you could, at the time, no doubt, just say, well, it's just about you know, people from a different class. It's, it, there's always been that sensibility there. Isn't that wonderful that, um, you know, that it's, it's always been there as something... You know, however veiled, as a way to say to people, I see you. 
Absolutely, absolutely, exactly. People who understood would have known they were being seen. The most recent example in, in recent Eurovision history is the wonderful victory of Conchita Wurst. She is the persona of an Aust Austrian musician, singer, drag artist, Tom Neuwert, and it was absolutely gorgeous. There was a, a politician from Russia who called it the end of Europe. Yes, that's right, yes. And if you want to take a kind of contrarian view, I'm sure people on the right or something might say this is a kind of cultural imperialism. This is some um, liberal values being put out there and kind of forced down the throats of unsuspecting traditional cultures. It's not my view, but, you know, it's a line one could take if you felt like it. Could you just introduce yourselves for me, please? Sana from Norway. And Lissy from Sweden, and that, that's my sister. And to complete Scandinavia, I'm Renee from Denmark. <laughs> Fantastic. And you are all dressed just oh, resplendent in gold. How much do you love Eurovision? Tell me why you've made this journey over from Sweden for it. Oh, I, if I explain that to you, I'm going to start crying because I've been crying a lot. <laughs> because it's like a huge family, nice warm bubble where everyone cheers for everybody and it's so friendly and we all sing together and uh, make nice, lovely friends from Denmark all, all over the place. It's, um, it's too good. <laughs> it is a very beautiful way of coming together. As a family, we call ourselves the Schlager family. We are mad Eurovision fans. We've been watching it for years and we're so excited that Australia is in it. It's awesome. What do you love about Eurovision? Uh, I just love the atmosphere because everyone's so like welcoming and just encouraging of each other and it's just such a fun like vibe to be part of, really. Yeah. Who's your favourite ever Eurovision contestant? Mons. Oh, that's a tough one, yeah. I think I have to say Mons. <laughs> yeah, we have a little crush on Mons. Yeah, we were like, I would have been yeah. like 14 or 15 yeah, when, he, like, when he won, Mons so it like was like a teenage crush, yeah. Like. I would have been 25 and I had a crush. <laughs> we all had a crush, it's fine. <laughs> um, but some, some people will be like, why are Australia in the competition? <laughs> We're actually not too sure, but we're really excited. We think it's just because we love it so much. I mean, yeah, to be fair, before we were even in the competition, we used to get up at like four or five in the yeah. morning to watch it every year. Yeah. yeah. 100%. Yeah. And like, uh, there's a lot of um, European heritage in Australia. We've got a lot of Irish, yeah. we've got a lot of, um, you know, European continent, uh, and certainly plenty of British. Um, so I think, you know, it's sort of our roots, and, you know, so we. We're going for our homelands, a lot of us. <laughs> My first live Eurovision was 2011 uh, in Dusseldorf when Lena won, of course, I'm from Germany. And uh, after that, we went there um, every time when it was at the place where we wanted to travel to or when it was easy to, like Vienna or Stockholm or, uh, yes, it's my sixth time now. Wow, so every year that you've been able to yeah. You try and make it to Eurovision. Hi, I'm Martika. I'm Nikki. Andrea. And where have you come from? Uh, Croatia. 
Croatia? Wallacey. <laughs> <laughs> so you're the local tour guide. I'm the local, I'm the local but this is my mum and cousin, so we're of Croatian descent. Well, I'm of yeah. Croatian descent and they're yeah. first generation, yeah. <laughs> How excited then are you to be here? Oh, it's out of this world. It's, it's, an, it's an amazing experience. Yeah, I think just to have it here in Liverpool is just absolutely amazing. Never thought we could have, have this opportunity to go and see it. We actually went to see the first semi-final rehearsal just now, so we finished. But we're going to go and watch the live one at home now with the telly and some drinks. <laughs> Alexis Petridis, you're the head rock and pop critic for The Guardian, and I believe quite a Eurovision fan. Why was Liverpool chosen as the host city? Okay, so six other cities were were in the running to host Eurovision this year. But Liverpool pipped it, I think, for two reasons. One, it's got kind of historical links to Ukraine. Odessa and Liverpool have been twins since 1957. So that's one thing. And the other thing is, I guess, that Liverpool, you know, it's got a strong musical history, Liverpool. And the tagline this year is United by Music. The organisers and the the BBC are, are saying, you know, this is Ukraine's show. What kinds of things are they going to be doing to mark that? 3,000 tickets have been made available uh, directly to people who have been displaced by the war. You know, you have artists perform at Eurovision that, that aren't in the contest, obviously, you know. And a lot of those are former Ukrainian entrants in the Eurovision Song Contest this year. There's also, there's all these sort of events, things happening in Liverpool, and there's like a peace statue and some sort of floral tribute. And they're also trying to organise, which I'm sure will be referenced within the contest itself. There's some sort of global sing-along. People around the world are invited to sing along to, with a little help from my friends. The UK's had a patchy history in Eurovision, what would you say have been our high and low points? I think rather than pick a song as our low point, what I would pick as our as the worst thing about Britain entering Eurovision is our absolute arrogance about the whole business. You know, Britain is a country that traditionally has punched massively above its weight in terms of pop music. You know, a fairly small country and we've produced you know, umpteen hugely important and influential artists over the course of sort of, you know, since the 60s, let's say. And we seem to, first of all, we seem to take it as read that we should win, you know, because we're Britain. And we get quite eggy when we don't win. I've no, You know, it's like, how dare, how dare you suggest the country that gave the world the Beatles and Elton John, and all this wonderful music, this hugely important, successful music, isn't as good at writing a song as Luxembourg. And that's been going on for years. That started, I discovered this, that started in 1968, when Congratulations by Cliff Richard uh, lost by one point to um, a song called La 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 by Mattiel. And the writer of Congratulations by Cliff Richard um, immediately said that the song that won was rubbish, which is small, you know, sore loserdom. The problem in recent years has been we have continued to have this kind of arrogant attitude that we should win and we're better at pop music than everybody else, while refusing to take Eurovision seriously. And 
you know, the year that guy with the ice skater on, the Russian guy, Dima Bilan, the year that he won, we sent a runner-up from The X Factor, a guy called Andy Abraham, I think his name was. Yes. Right. He didn't win The X Factor. He was a runner-up on The X Factor. I I believe he was previously employed as as a dustman. The Russian entry which won that year was produced by Timberland, <laughs> who, is, who is, you know, I'm sure your listeners will know, sort of legendary author, R&B producer, worked with Destiny's Child, Missy Elliott. It was co-written by the guy who wrote Maneater by Nelly Furtado. Now, you can say, if you want, that that smacks of the Russian oligarch buying the premiership club and just pouring billions into the transfer funds. But I put it to you, that one of those countries, there's a country that sent the runner-up from the X Factor, and there's a country that got Timberland to produce their entry. One of those countries wanted to win Eurovision more than the other. Run us through the times when we've got nil poire, because I would really like an excuse to play some Gemini. I I don't want to be mean-spirited, but Gemini, the song was no good to start off with, and then they sang it really out of tune. James Newman, he got Null Point, um, which was rough on James Newman because he was kind of, you know, he'd been a success in Britain. He wasn't just a Eurovision creation. But again, the song wasn't very good. In last place, that is United Kingdom. And the United Kingdom gets from the public zero points. Well, come on. I mean... That is just ridiculous. Zero points from the public, zero points from the juries. That was in 2021. But the UK's fortune changed last year. Second place. That was the best result we'd had in more than 20 years. And some success meant that the UK would host in partnership with Ukraine. Now, Eurovision isn't just happening in the main arena. There are events going on all over Liverpool. Um, You walk through the streets and you will see the colours of the Ukrainian flag, blue and yellow, flying everywhere. And where we're standing right now is called the Eurovision Village. It's right by the dockside. And in it, there's a section called Discover Ukraine, where there are tens of traders, food stalls, there are fashion stalls, there's pottery going on from people all over Ukraine who are here to just show their pride in their culture. Um, so Svetlana, we are, <laughs> uh, we are here basically in your kitchen, you've got your hands covered in dough yeah. <laughs> and an apron covered in flour. What are you making? Stop, we're, we're, making, we're, we're making really special Crimean um, turnover, it's called Chiburek. And uh, with uh, lamb and uh, beef um, meat inside, with really proper uh, Crimean seasoning, we would like to introduce and say by food that Crimean is Ukraine. And I love your colleague here in the pink hat, which is a a little tribute to the the lead singer of Kalush Orchestra, (laughs) the iconic pink bucket hat. And we've been singing here like um, Stefania, but Chebureki, Chebureki, Chebureki. <laughs> like if everyone was laughing, dancing here. 
Who is the Chiborek? <laughs> My name is Maria. I am the founder of imwallet.com. It's a Ukrainian online boutique of uh, different brands that we represent here in the UK. How does it feel to you? What's it been like being here and being able to kind of show off the culture? But it's, it's really amazing for us to be able to present um, what we are, what we stand for to all the public that are uh, here for Eurovision, the locals as well as all the tourists. Uh, yeah, we really feel uh, blessed to, to be here, to, to have this opportunity. Tell me a little bit about your story. Well, I was born in Mariupol. Uh, it's um, a city on the east of Ukraine, which is now occupied by Russia, actually. I moved from Mariupol when I was 14, and uh, for the last few years, I've been between Kiev and London, and when the war started, we were in Kiev. We managed to escape safely. We keep on going back just to check out on my family and uh, on all the things that we have back there, but I'm primarily based in London. People will remember seeing what happened in Mariupol last year. How was that for you to, to watch from the outside? Well, it's devastating because sometimes I would just uh, dream about the cities that I used to walk through when I was a child. I remember many places by heart and it's heartbreaking to see what is happening right now after the Google Maps were revealed. Uh, the, the updated maps of uh, how the city looks like right now. It's, it's, it's crazy. Uh, luckily, all my family managed to escape last uh, spring, already when the city was mostly occupied by Russians. But luckily, everyone is safe. I don't have anyone there, but it's, it's crazy. And so what does it mean to you, you know, having this event, having Eurovision and having the world's eyes on this city, which is representing for your country? Um, I, I really enjoy being here and uh, it's uh, a real pleasure to be able to talk to people from so many countries and tell them about what's happening and it's very important to remember uh, that uh, we are here now celebrating and uh, having this chance to represent everything while back in Ukraine there is shelling every day. Last night there was 15 uh, um, rockets and drones launched uh, to, to Ukraine Two days ago there were 35, so I think it's very important to talk about it as well, and we have a chance to do that. My name is Veronika Isinska, I'm even project assistant at the Cultural Liverpool, and I'm working on the project Discover Ukraine. How important is it that Eurovision is being hosted here? What does it actually mean? I think it is crucial, uh, especially for our Ukrainian culture, because we need to give an understanding to the Western world that we are separated country, we are not a part of Russia, uh, and we have Ukrainian language as an official language. And, you know, uh, during the time of USSR, I think it was kind of blended barriers uh, for other people to understand actually what is Ukraine, how it looks like, um, what about those people who live there. So I'm trying to explain that unfortunately we've been colonized country during the many, many years and our history been erased by some of the, um, you know, persons from Russian empire. But yes, now it is time to speak loudly about uh, our culture. And I think we need to use any opportunity that we have to share about who we are exactly. We're with Irene and we're in this tent at the end of the Discover Ukraine exhibition. This is it's quite an amazing array of information in here, all about Ukrainian history, about pop culture. Tell me the story of how this came into being. 
So, first of all, the tent. We like calling it a dome. And that's kind of very symbolic for us because it symbolizes the protection we have around our country, around Ukraine. And here, so we kind of feel protected, safe in here. Then we have this bush in the middle. In Ukrainian, it's called Kalina. In English, it's Viburnum. So it's a huge symbol for us. Uh, because of the berries that are here, they are in red color, so people who shed blood for Ukraine, then in that ground, these trees grow. And that's a big symbol for us. And song was uh, about this tree, became kind of viral in the beginning of war. So this is why it is here in the middle, the center of everything that is going on around it. And all of the plants, we brought them from Ukraine, so it's so sweet to tell it to people and they try to touch it and feel it. So it is like feeling Ukraine. Coming up, who's in the running to win this year's Eurovision? Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Today in Focus is supported by BetterHelp. Here's a question. If you had an extra hour in your day... What would you do with it? Watch TV? Read a book? Meet up with a friend? Maybe a little nap? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But for what? Perhaps to best answer that, you need to work out what's truly important to you, then make that a priority. Therapy can help you work out what's most important to you. It isn't just for those who've unfortunately experienced trauma in their lives. Therapy can be helpful for learning positive coping skills and for setting boundaries. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash todayinfocus today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash todayinfocus. Chris. We've had two semi-finals this week, which have knocked the competitors down from 37 to the 26 who will be performing in tomorrow night's grand final. That includes the UK, France, Spain, Italy, Germany, who all go through automatically. They're the big five, the main funders, but Ukraine is also, also included this year. Which acts 
are you most excited about? Who should we be looking out for? Well, I think this is very much a matter of taste. Uh, my favourite one is Finland. The song is called Cha Cha Cha. I just think that's a song with tremendous energy. And it's imaginative as well. It doesn't run out of steam. A lot of songs generally, after about two minutes, you've pretty much heard it all. So you get a key change or you get a you get the, the chorus being repeated over and over again. This song, two minutes in or one minute, 45, 50 in, it changes. And that's that. I love that. I find that exciting. And I think it's a very, it's a very energetic song. So Finland and? Sweden, obviously. Um, Loreen is Eurovision royalty. She won in 2012 with one of the best Eurovision songs ever, Euphoria. So she's back. Loreen, it's very good, it's very strong, I like it. I don't think her song is as good as, as Euphoria was, but a lot of people like it. It's pretty good, it's good. Sweden never come up with mediocre songs, but I don't, I don't, it's, it doesn't sort of, it didn't make me think bloody hell. Obviously, Ukraine will do well again. No how bad the act from Ukraine is two guys called Tvorchi, and their song is, that's rather appropriately, called Heart of Steel. We were inspired from videos we saw online from our defenders who were defending the Mariupol city. They were surrounded and uh, the situation was very tough and bad, but uh, on the videos, those guys had a strong uh, strength in their eyes. They were confident, they were unbreakable, like all Ukrainians past, uh, past year. And of course, this is sending out a message to the world that Ukraine is a, a country that accepts diversity. Because um, one, one of the points that um, Putin goes on about is, oh, it's run by a bunch of Nazis. Well, hello, here's a, here's a mixed race act representing us. So I think that's a very clear political statement. Um, and a, a very, very good, well done. Good for them. May Muller is the UK entrant. How well can we expect her to do? May Muller is a, was picked by the same team who picked the wonderful Sam Ryder last year. So it's TAP Music. And so the BBC went back this year to same people and said okay find us somewhere else and they've come up with May Muller and I think she's great I don't think she's as, quite as good as Sam but we will see it depends on the quality of performance she gives on the night well it's an incredible opportunity when else would you get as a singer the opportunity to sing to 180 million people at once indeed indeed why on earth nobody picked that up really from 1978 onwards with a, with some honorable exceptions i have no idea instead i that was chris west 
author of Eurovision, a history of modern Europe through the world's greatest song contest. And before him, Alexis Petridis, the chief rock and pop critic for The Guardian. Thanks to them and to everyone in Liverpool who made time to talk to us for this episode. We loved meeting you. I produced today's episode alongside Elizabeth Cassin. Sound design was by Solomon King. And if you're watching Eurovision this weekend, wherever you are, we hope you have a fabulous time. We'll be back on Monday. This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.